Jeremiah chapter 4, starting at verse 1, the Lord speaking through the prophet prophet says, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear, the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord of the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow amongst the thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Now keep in mind, in the original manuscripts, there was no punctuation. There were no chapter headings, nor were there verse numbers. What we had just seen in chapter 3 was a required repentance. And so that thought is continuing on in the first four verses as we enter into chapter 4. So upon examining the doctrine of repentance in the Bible, as we did last week and we continue to do today, the only biblical conclusion that you can come to is, if there is no repentance, there's no forgiveness. Remember the doctrine that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so we have to understand that dynamic of what God does. There has to be that heart that as the Holy Spirit does work on it, they're revealed for the sinner that they are. And as they are revealed for the sinner that they are, there's a deep-seated mourning because of that, because of that revelation. And then there's the desire to deal with that sin, not just to carry it, because carrying it, you'll carry it all the way into judgment, but to come into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it all has to start with a heart that desires to repent. And so what we have been seeing in the book of Jeremiah, we saw it in the first chapter, Jeremiah's calling, even from the womb, God had called him. Chapter 2 is an accusation by the Lord. Chapter 3, an appeal from the Lord. And then in chapter 4, we have an actual repentance, a call to repentance of mankind. A verse that we've been looking at throughout the last couple of studies is found in Haggai. Haggai was written after the Jews were restored back into the land after Babylonian captivity. But unfortunately, they started sliding, backsliding into the same things to which they were delivered into the hands of the Babylonians. The idea is they didn't learn their lesson. And so God, through the prophet Haggai, at that point, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? And what you see in the heart of the people is their priority of worship versus their comforts of the day. It says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. And so God repeats himself here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And there's only one reason why God would continue to remind them to consider their ways. It's so that they would change their ways. That they would recognize that their ways are contrary to the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't want to bring judgment. God desires that no man should perish, but all would come to a saving knowledge of him. 
And so that's why we have this whole chapter dedicated, chapter 3, to repentance. Chapter 4, repentance, because he's going to speak chapters on judgment. And so first, God is always revealing the way that we're able to avoid judgment. So two things we're going to consider tonight. First is repentance, and second is God's way of judgment when his call to repentance is ignored. And so... Not only was this the central point of John the Baptist's ministry, but in the book of Matthew, as Jesus is starting his ministry, in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, It should be important when Jesus is starting his ministry, he begins to preach. What did he have to say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And unfortunately, We've kind of taken that out of some of our sermons. And I'm talking a wide spectrum, but within the church. In a lot of churches, there's not even the acknowledgement of sin. And, and there has to be the acknowledgement of sin, because if there isn't, then you're not repenting. And really, as you're saying you're coming to Christ, why are you coming to Christ if you're not acknowledging that you're a sinner and have the desire to repent? And so as John the Baptist was the forerunner, it's as if he instilled this concept into the psyche of mankind. And then Jesus Christ, he reinforced it, and it should be reverberating throughout all of the church age, that there has to be the knowledge of sin, and there has to be the understanding that if you want to be right with God, it has to start with a real repentance. And so what we're going to do is spend a majority of the time, and really in the first two verses, because there's volumes here, and it is quite possible we may not make it out of them, but nonetheless, we've got to understand this doctrine, and we need to be detailed in our understanding of it. So first of all, we can make sure that we are in the Lord and going according to his ways, but also for the express purpose of helping others and ministering to others. Because again, just to say, tell somebody, come to Christ and you'll have a blessed life. Well, that's not really true. And on whose basis are you coming to Christ? Are you coming to Christ based upon the terms that Christ has dictated with a, repent, a knowledge of sin and a repentant heart? Or are you just coming to Christ just to get something? And a lot of people are coming to Christ just to get something. But unfortunately, if you have that attitude, you're going to leave with absolutely nothing. So God's way of mankind's repentance, it requires first. Now, he's talking to his children, and so there's really two ways of looking at this. There's the way of looking at it as an unbeliever. They need to repent without a doubt, but we all need to repent. We all need to have that constant cleansing of ourselves that repentance brings. Again, the acknowledgement, although Christ has cleansed me of my sin, he has chosen to remember them no more, I can still defile myself as I'm disobedient to God. So there's going to have to be a constant evaluation. And when there is sin in our lives, we do need to repent of it. We need to deal with it. So we're able to move on as well. And so in verse 1 it says, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And so this requires a heart to be back in his presence to be back in good standing with God. Now you ask, was that person ever really in right standing with God? The the people in the church that all of a sudden you don't see them at church and you see them out in the streets and what happened to you and they've walked away or whatever. Did that person lose his salvation? Did that person walk away? I don't know. I, I don't know. Nor should I waste my time trying to figure it out. 
You need to repent, bro. You need to get back right with God. You need to plug back into a Christian life. And, and if it's the first time, if they're making really that initial commitment to Christ, then that's fine. If they backslid they just need to come back to Christ, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is there to accept them back. See, the pathway to God is always paved with obedience to the word of God. It's doing it God's way, doing it according to God's word. And again, we see it from page to page to page, the sinful nature of mankind, but the righteousness and the goodness of God based upon his love and his grace. And so you must admit your sin, admit that he has the power and desire to forgive, but then there's also the key is to ask is to ask for forgiveness. It's to recognize you're a sinner, to understand that he has the power and the desire to forgive, and then to enter in, to come before the Lord and to seek it out. And as I have pointed out before, this word return has the connotation of starting over. And I think that just describes it even so much better. If you will start over, Israel says the Lord, start over to me. Later on, we're told in both Zechariah and Malachi, if you start over with me, God says, I'll start over with you. And in my way of thinking, that's pretty powerful. And any time in my life that I have wandered off, God is saying, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. His mercies are renewed every day. And the perfect illustration that, that, at least in my mind, especially when we were studying the book of Deuteronomy and... um, Leviticus and and Numbers, when Israel is wandering through the wilderness, if you're under the shadow of God's wings, remember, they're in the desert. If you're under the shadow of God's wings, that would be that cloud during the day that would guard you from the sun, or that would be that pillar of fire at night that would keep you from the cold of the desert. As long as you're there, you're doing well. But I have to admit that I know how we all are. There had to be people that wandered off. There had to be people that thought they saw something, needed something, wanted something, had a better idea, and wandered off from underneath the shadow of God's wings. And the idea that I have and what we're looking at here is they could always return and get right with God. And that can be something that's even frustrating at times. Have you ever known somebody that you're ministering to them? You need to return to the Lord. You need to come back, and they refuse to do it. And it can just be heartbreaking when you see somebody like that. Have you ever thought about this aspect of God's grace and looking at it in the prodigal son? What did the prodigal son do? I want my inheritance. Dad, yours is good as dead in my sight. And he took that inheritance. He took his father's hard-earned money, and he went and wasted it. And he didn't just waste it, but he wasted it on things that were completely contrary to his father. And then on top of that... He became completely unclean as he was working, dealing with the pig pods. But then when he decided to return to his father, his father came and he ran to him. He embraced him. And the idea here is is that the son realized that his father's servants had it better than he did. If I start over with dad, dad will start over with me. And Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so I can just imagine just when when somebody genuinely repents and gets right with God, this tells us that all of the heavens, they they light up. So the first thing is there's got to be a returning to the Lord. So what that tells me is it doesn't do any good just to be sorry. 
It doesn't do any good just to have a repentant heart within itself. There's got to be that repentance that drives you back to that right relationship with God. That's where the value and the necessity is of it. Secondly, in God's way of man's repentance, it is to remove your abominations. We see that in the middle part here in verse 1 when he says, Return to me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. Notice how the prodigal son, he didn't bring any pigs home with him. Didn't bring any of the pigs. Because remember, keep in mind, the Jewish mind, those pigs, that's an unclean thing. And the picture is there that this man was just completely immersed in sin. But when he made that determination to come back to the father, he didn't bring the pigs back with him. Why? That was a shameful time in his life. That was a time when I can imagine he's walking back and he's probably unsure of his father's reaction. How can I possibly look my dad in the eye? And we've all felt like that. There's just that guilt that is upon it. I mean, the father did away with that, but still, you're not going to bring some of the pigs with you. And so we need to look at those things in our life. We need to make inventory, because let me ask you, you got pigs running around your life? You got pigs in the house? You got pigs in, you got those things that are contrary or unclean in the sight of God? Are you keeping them around? If you are, have you truly repented? Are you truly sorry for something that you continue to do or to continue to keep in your life? Because if God has chosen to not remember anymore, then why would we be continually trying to remind him? Continually trying to remind him of the old life. Continually trying to remind him, not that we're purposely trying to remind him, but in essence we are, of the old sins. Just as surely as God has chosen to remember no more, We need to eradicate those things from our lives. Now, this is something that a born-again believer, somebody who is saved, is able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see those things that are able to grip the souls of men and women, drug use, alcohol, and again, just fill in the the, the blank, and these things that can so consume a life. That's part of the big part of the reason why we have the Holy Spirit, not the power of God, but God who will empower us to overcome these things. Because once I repent and I recognize them as sin, God desires to wash us of these sins. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do it instantaneously, although he can and he does. For some of us, some of the things are a process. When I got saved, I just didn't live a holy and complete Christian life at that moment on. There were things that I had to even learn that were sin that I was unknowledgeable uh, of. It was all through the process of walk in the Christian life. But when something was acknowledged as being sinful, it's that, well, it needed to go. Because it's unacceptable to have an unclean thing running around your Christian life. If God was there, you wouldn't bring it out. And if it's something that I have to, if I could, hide in the sight of God, it needs to be taken away. How can you keep with you what caused the division between you and the Lord in your life? It's got to be dealt with. Our holiness is the purity of godliness on us. Our sins are the impurity of the world that stains us. And as God has washed us clean, what am I going to do going back to the stain time and time again? A real repentance demands, and that's the, the definition of the term, that we stop, that we turn around, and that we go in God's direction. Now, there was that woman caught in adultery. Now, for the most part in that real story, 
God's ministering to the people who are accusing her, I mean, showing and displaying the evilness of their heart. But he does say something very serious to this woman. In John chapter 8, verse 11, when he asked, where the people condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. But he did say, go and sin no more. That was a warning. Now, Jesus was not telling her to go and never commit another sin because we're told in John chapter 2, the last part, that the Lord knows all that's in the heart of both men and women. What he was telling her to stop was her adulterous ways because the fact of the matter is this woman was probably set up, but she was caught in the very act of adultery. And so when he's telling her to go and sin no more, he's telling her, don't continue on in this sin. Why? Because it's going to lead to her death. That sooner or later, they are going to pick up rocks and they are going to stone you. And, and the idea here is there's going to be repercussions for the sins that we allow to continue on in our lives. They may not lead to death, but they do they'll lead to some sort of spiritual death. And what I mean by that, they're just going to cause a division between your Lord and yourself. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is never going to be all that it can be when you hold on to these things and we don't release these things, when we don't repent of these things. This is a warning that, the God, that God gave to Cain as well in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If I do well, if I repent, if I work at a condition not for salvation, but because of salvation, if I work at a condition that is acceptable to God, then God, I'm going to be just that, acceptable to God. I'm, I'm going to be standing in the grace of God. Now, there's many ways that we're able to stand. There's many definitions of grace, but in Galatians, with standing in the grace of God, it, it, it speaks of standing in the place where God is able to bless your life, that God will bless your life. And God does not bless a life of disobedience, but he blesses a life whose heart hungers and thirsts for him. And so God's telling Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So there's sin and its desire is for you. I shouldn't have to really explain that to you because it really manifests itself in temptation. And we've all experienced temptation of some sort in some particular area. And we understand that sin's desire is for us. But the Lord says to, to Cain, but that you should rule over it. And the idea is you're able to achieve victory in it. And again, what we're looking at is, is the necessity of taking that first step, the necessity of repenting. And I look at this because I remember my dad wanted me to go over to his friend's house when I was doing electrical. His name was Jim. And I went over. He was more closer to my father's age. And um, I was talking to him what needed to be done and all and just kind of helped him out with something. I don't remember. And I remember they made lunch and was sitting at his, his, uh, his, his uh, kitchen table. And I told him, I, I got to get going now. And he goes, okay. And so he walked me to the front door. And he had this big dog. I don't remember. It was kind of like a big poodle, but it wasn't. It was some kind of hound. And he goes, okay, well, just hold on a minute. It's like, Okay. And he goes, um, I want you to open the door and then get out of the way. Like, okay. So I opened the door. I went through and got out of the way. And then he comes running and he jumps and he slams the door. And the dog, Rawr! and I'm just like, what's up with that? He goes, he just doesn't like it when people leave. 
I go, well, what happens if he gets a hold of you? And he goes, well, he hasn't done that yet. And I'm thinking, why would you leave this dog around the house? At some point, some kid is going to come walking, and he's not going to be quick enough, and the dog's going to get him. Why would you keep an animal around like that? This animal that is going to be a danger to you. Remember a very unfortunate incident. Some lady had a chimpanzee. and a na- yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you remember it. And it, it, it just disfigured this woman grossly. Why would you keep an animal around like Why would we keep sin around like that? Why would we keep something that is going to destroy our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least damage our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's got to be dealt with. Thirdly, in God's right way of repentance, we are to first return, we are to remove, but we are also to be resolute. And really, this is not so much to be, but it's going to be a result. It says, again, in the middle part of verse 1, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. You're going to be rock solid. You're standing on the rock. And, and, and there's, not, there's going to be plenty that occurs around you, but you're going to be held strong in your relationship with the Lord. You will not be shaken in your relationship with God. Now, remember, he's given this warning to the southern kingdom of Israel, who history and the Bible tells us is going to come under the, the thumb of Babylon. And God is saying... If you do these things, you're not going to be moved. You're going to be protected. You're going to be rock solid. They had already seen Assyria come into Jerusalem up to the very gates, and God protected them and delivered them. But they continued on in their sinful ways. And he gave them the warning because Babylon did come in during Jeremiah's ministry. And so he's given them this warning that you shall not be moved if you do these things. And it just shows us that they didn't do those things. But what it does do, it speaks of the confidence that we can have in a good and stable relationship with the Lord when we follow through on the things that he said. Now, have you ever had a bad relationship with somebody? Of course, we've all had a bad relationship. When you have a bad relationship with somebody, you want to avoid them. You don't really want to talk to them, and even if they're around, you'll probably ignore them because you just don't want to go there. Well, what happens when your relationship with God is bad? I've seen people with bad relationships with God. You know what they do? They avoid him, they don't talk to him, and they ignore him. And so we see that reality, there's no stability in that person's life. And unfortunately, what the Lord does, I mean, I guess it's fortunate that God is still mindful and works in their lives, but unfortunate what they have to go through, usually what there is is some major trial in their lives that brings them, that snaps them back into the reality of the necessity of a relationship with God. And again, it's very unfortunate that it has to come to that place. But those, but those who are repentant and, and those who are standing strong in their relationship with the Lord, they're going to be resolute. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's just as important, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, And the rain descended and the floods came. And all of our lives, the rains are going to descend and the floods are going to come. We saw a picture of this recently in the Caribbean and in Houston. And the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And what is he saying? It's resolute. It's resolute. 
it grows, it's got this sure foundation that when these things, because as he'll go on and speak of those people who were built on the sand, the commonality between the two is that the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. The problem with the one that was founded upon the sand, the shifting sand, it collapsed. It was the one that was founded, that was resolute upon the rock. And that's what's being said here, backing up again in chapter 4, verse 1. If, notice there's if, that, that, that's a big word. If you will return, O Israel, and we know they didn't, says the Lord, return to me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then, then you shall not be moved. It's kind of an interesting... I haven't done this, and I probably should do it one year. As you're reading through, as you're reading through paragraphs, circle the ifs and the thens. Because really God's placing that in our court. If, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will heal the land. And you see these things that God is laying out before us, these opportunities for, for obedience. If you do this then this is what I'm going to do. And you look at what he's going to do, and you think, why would we even not think about doing that? But still we don't. Israel didn't. They didn't heed the prophet. We'll see uh, later on where they heeded these false prophets that basically just told them what they wanted to hear. Fourthly, in God's right way of repentance, we are to return, we are to remove abomination, we are to be resolute, and we are to be ready. Verse 2, and you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. And so this means to be ready, to be prepared for the witness that God has called you to give. Because when it speaks of the nations, those are the Gentile nations. That's not Israel that he's speaking of. And really what he's speaking of is that you are a people who are small in stature but mighty in the Lord. And as Assyria is going throughout the countryside, as Babylon goes around the countryside and consumes all of these nations, you're a special nation because you have been kept in the midst of all of that. And if, if they do these things, then people are going to look at Israel and, wow, Wow, look what God has done. Unfortunately, they did look at Israel and they had that same mindset. Wow, look at the judgment that came upon Israel. But we have an advantage. We can still look back and see how God restored Israel and continue to say, wow. You should look at Israel today and say, wow, look at this mighty God who has throughout the ages kept his promises You've got that nation, we've looked at this before, it'd be as if California, think of California if you're unaware of the geography, think of California as Israel, and Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, and Mexico wanted us destroyed off the face of the map. Just think of how close they are. And actually Israel's even smaller than California. And how easily that can be done. Why those nations that have this backing of all of the Arab nations, why haven't they been able to destroy Israel? Because the hand of God is upon Israel. They'll never be able to destroy Israel apart from the Lord. And even when Babylon came in, they still weren't able to destroy Israel. That was just a time of correction that God used in order to bring Israel back to where they needed to be. Because we know that God had a plan through the Lord Jesus Christ. And why was Israel restored back in 1948? Because God has a plan for the second coming 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just as he worked, all that he worked in the destruction of the southern kingdom, but the restoration of the second kingdom, and it was 400 years later that Messiah came, now we're told that as God has restored Israel, it's only going to be a generation until the second coming of Christ. What does that mean exactly? We don't know. Only a fool would try to guess the date. And maybe it'll be 100, 200, maybe it'll be 400 years. But nonetheless, I do know that God's plan, it's being worked out. And so a big part of the purpose of God's restoration project is for us to fulfill his commission. It's the only way that an imperfect people can fulfill the great commission of God is by his grace with a heart to repent when we fall into sin. Because if we've sinned after salvation, then we're all disqualified without repentance and without restoration, then we're all disqualified. And there's nobody to fulfill God's great commission. The biggest proof of my repentance should be seen in those around me. Should be seen in those around me as I've come into right standing with God and now I'm showing them, see what God's able to do in the life of an imperfect person. See how when I return to him, that he returned to me? And so this is the idea here is, is that, that God's desiring, and he's calling Israel because it's not that Israel, as we've looked at the minor prophets in the past, and even as we look at Jeremiah, it's never about Israel or the southern kingdom Judah breaking the law. I mean, it is, but in actuality, really what it's all about is they're breaking God's heart. And they're breaking the heart of the Lord through their sins and through their disobedience. And God's not going to allow them to continue to do so. And really, he has every right to wipe them all out. But instead, he just allows this time of correction to occur and then brings them back together. The next couple of verses, and probably where we'll stop is after verse 4. We see the effects that repentance will have in your life moving forward. What is the effects that repentance works in your life? Again, verses 3 through 4. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. So he's speaking to the leaders of them. Judah would be the kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem is the city. He says, break up your fallow ground and do not sow amongst the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and then he gives a warning. Least my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And so the first thing he says, break up your fallow ground. Break up the hardened heart that you have. It's to till up that hardened soil so that seeds are able to be planted in it. Seeds that are going to germinate so that they'll grow and they'll bear fruit. The first fruit that they bear will be the fruit of repentance. And so that's what repentance does. It, it opens you up to forgiveness of God, but I can't have this hardened heart. You should know what a hardened heart is. A hardened heart is when you ignore the Holy Spirit. What's your conscience? Your conscience is an ear for the Holy Spirit. Anytime you've sinned, You've had to sear your conscience a little bit. You've had to ignore your conscience because God is speaking to you and telling you that you're going in a wrong direction. And so what have you done each time? You've had to harden your heart. But repentance, it breaks up that hardened heart so that the seeds are able to be planted. And secondly, break up the fallow ground and do not sow amongst the thorns. Clear out the weeds that sin is. We've got that picture of the thorns and 
um, in Genesis chapter 3, and we have that picture of the thorns that are on the head of the Lord as he's upon the cross, and it's just these weeds that choke out that which is beneficial and produces that which sin produces, a life that is far from God. And, and, and just as people are to come to partake, what are they coming to partake of? We had a bougainvillea bush in the front of our house, and it was miserable during the hot summer months. During the hot summer months, the thing just grew like a weed. And the area was it had to be kept trimmed. So I would go out there and trim it. Well, you're going out there. When does it explode? It explodes when it's hot. So 90, 100 degree temperature, you're out there trimming it. And it's got the biggest thorns in the world. And, and when I'm done, I've got all of these holes in me. Because, it, you know, you're wearing shorts and it's hot and t-shirt, maybe even wearing gloves. But still, it's poking you in, in the arms and, and, and whatnot. But we also have this peach tree. The peach tree this year did really well. And I was able to walk right up to the peach tree and take the peaches off. I do it in the mornings. Take the peaches off and to be able to partake of that. And so what do you want to be? Do you want to be a tree that bears fruit that is beneficial for others, that they be healthy and that be strong and that they would grow? Or do you want to be that when people approach you, you get stuck or they get stuck? And again, you see a major difference because God wants to use us and he wants to use us to bear fruit that others are able to come, partake of it and grow in their Christian lives. And then the last illustration that he uses here is verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And again, it's the cutting away of the flesh for the purpose of the reigning of the spirit within your soul. We have to understand that God, God, God will, will give us this new life. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. But we also have to be of the mindset that we have to cleanse the house. We have to be of the mindset that there are certain things that just aren't acceptable anymore. And as I said, my wife and I, when we first got saved, we were making constant evaluations. Maybe that's not a good term to use because they weren't so much constant evaluations, but they were more along the lines of revelations from God. As we studied God's word, we realized certain things. They wouldn't, you wouldn't say they're big things, but just certain things became convictions in our lives that were unacceptable for us to continue on. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so really what we've got to ask is, what if this call to repent is ignored? And again, we're not going to get into the rest of the chapter tonight, but just looking at the last part of verse 4, least my fury. Now, this is, it's a fearful thing we saw in our Hebrew study on Sunday to fall into the hands of an angry God. He says, least my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And we can think, once again, the evil of my doings. Well, I'm not an evil person. I don't do evil things. That's kind of strong language. But I've got to consider anything contrary to God and God's word. It is evil in his sight, and it does need to be repented of. Because as children of God, we ought not to be partaking of such things. And so we've got this great progression. Again, chapter 1, the call of the prophet. Chapter 2, the sins of the nation are spoken of. But then in chapter 3 and 4, before we get into the judgments, there's the necessity to repent. Because again, if God says, if you start over with me, God through his grace, through his mercy, and the love that he has for his people, he's willing to start over with us. 
The devil's going to say he doesn't want anything to do with you. But God's hand is held out. He's wanting that time for you to come back, to get right with him, and to start over. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, of your goodness and your graciousness. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, your hand is held out because there's not a one of us here are perfect. It was all about your grace on the day that you were saved, and it's all about your grace, Lord, every breathing day of our Christian life. Father, we just see that as we have been freely given salvation, we don't have to go to work to maintain our salvation. But Lord, because of that, because of a heart of appreciation, we need to follow through in these things. And so, Lord, I just lift up those who've come out tonight that you would bless them. I pray, Father, that we would now but constantly take stock take inventory of our lives if there's anything there if there's any sin pray lord that you would reveal it and that lord it would be repented of and it would be dealt with and so father i pray that we would not disqualify ourselves from any good work but father we would just find joy in our christian lives as they are kept solid by your word and through our actions and deeds father to your glory we pray in jesus name amen will you all stand please We're going to be having the announcement this Sunday, but we are starting Operation Christmas Child, the shoebox ministry, and so we're going to have a table set up in the fellowship area for that, and so another year, and you can see with the disasters that are going on throughout the world how effective that ministry very well could be this coming year. Also, our couples retreat is a week from this weekend, so keep it up in prayer. Keep up in prayer the couples that are going to be there, that God would minister to them. Keep in prayer the families whose parents are gone. You know how it is when the cat is away, the mice think they can play. And, and just my point in that is, is just keep any disruption away from the people who will be there so that they're able to receive all that the Lord would have. God bless you guys. Good night.